grief can be lonely and isolating, especially for those experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. At times, it may even feel as if the sorrow might consume you. Welcome to the Birthies Loss Support Podcast. Join me, your host, Michelle Smith, as I hold a much-needed space for grief, remembrance, and the journey of healing through conversations with grief and trauma experts, the sharing of stories of loss and love, as well as guided meditations. Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful that you are here. I met Candace and Taylor, two student documentary filmmakers, back in early 2020. They were doing research for their debut documentary film, In Between Us, which discusses miscarriage, stillbirth, and the disparities that Black mothers face here in the United States. And I was so impressed with their project and the work that they are up to in the world, that I featured them on the Birthies podcast. And this is a replay of that really incredible interview that we had. I believe COVID has set the project back a bit, but there is information on their website. And if you feel inspired to support them in any way, I'm quite certain that they would welcome it. I hope that you find this conversation between the three of us as compelling and insightful as I did. In today's episode, I am incredibly honored and humbled to have with me two student filmmakers, Taylor Marks and Candace Williamson. And these two young women are embarking on a journey to create a much-needed and vital documentary which focuses in on the state of maternal health care for women of color. Their project is In Between Us. In Between Us is an intimate portrait of Black motherhood, a deeply flawed system, and the complicated beauty of life. The story was born from the alarming statistic that Black women are three to four times more likely to experience pregnancy-related mortality than white women in America. Black women in America are three to four times more likely to have pregnancy complications and suffer from infant mortality. For thousands of women, preventable health care problems lead to lifelong consequences. If it's not about money, education, or pre-existing conditions, then why are Black mothers and babies still dying? These young filmmakers are inviting women to share their own experiences and how they are fighting to close the space in between us. Candace Williamson is a broadcast journalism student at the University of South Florida. Ever since the age of six, Candace knew she had a passion for being anywhere near a camera. She has written and directed a number of broadcast stories and documentaries, all with a message of hope and love. Her work has been shown across the globe from the Cannes Film Festival in France to the Geelong International Festival in Australia. Candace hopes to continue her journey as a documentary filmmaker to tell stories that become catalysts for change. 
Taylor Marks is an honors telecommunication student at the University of Florida. As a writer, photographer, and multimedia journalist, she enjoys in the telling of stories of others and empowering the public with information. Taylor has experience working with photo, print, and broadcast journalism. She has been recognized by BBC World News and the ACE thesis Undergraduate Honors Journal for accomplishments in photojournalism. Taylor aspires to one day work as a local news reporter or a documentary storyteller. Welcome, Candace and Taylor, to the Birthies podcast. I am so incredibly honored and humbled is the word that's coming to me to have you here with me today. Thank you so much for having us. I'm so excited. Yeah, thank you so much. Any platform that we get a chance to talk about this really important topic is always such a blessing. And it's a topic that gets swept under the rug. It really does. And so I'm going to read a few statistics. Mm -hmm. Black women are twice as likely to experience a miscarriage than other races. African-American infants are 3.8 times as likely to die from complications related to low birth weight as compared to non-Hispanic white infants. Our Black mothers are 2.3 times more likely to receive late or no prenatal care. That's startling. And... I don't have words because it, it just support. And with those startling statistics, can you share what inspired you to take on this difficult project and this kind of taboo subject? Tilly, do you want to go first? Sure. So I'll say, at least for me personally, what brought me on to wanting to know more about this topic was the story of Kira and Charles Johnson. She's who the Kira Johnson Act, I believe it passed in 2018, is named after. Basically, she was, I think her husband describes her as Wonder Woman. She spoke five languages, she raced cars, she was a regular skydiver, an educated Black woman. She went into the hospital to have her second child and then ended up slowly bleeding to death sheerly out of neglect. They ordered her some type of scan and they said they needed it stat. They didn't get it to her for seven hours. And after she had already had her child on what's supposed to be the happiest day of her and her husband's life, she ended up losing her own life and it was completely preventable. So I found out about this. I'm a journalism student through one of my teachers who actually discovered that couple and did a story on them. And he showed us his work. And I just couldn't believe the statistics when it came down to it. He was like, yeah, so we were trying to investigate why, why does this happen? Why are black women so much more likely to die from a very preventable thing like childbirth? And so basically what they found is it was surely just out of racism or neglect or just looking at someone, hearing them describe their pain or discomfort and going, oh, well, it can't be that bad. Or, oh, well, they don't look like me, so it it can't be the same type of pain. So it's probably not a big deal. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was like, we have to do something. This is way beyond even just a race issue, this is human lives being lost and that it's one group of people and it's so preventable. We're one of the most advanced nations on the earth and America is the most dangerous place to give birth 
in the developed world. So mm -hmm. I think my passion for this just came out of wanting to make a difference, wanting to make a change, because to me, it seems so preventable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a shocking statistic that people aren't aware of. Most people think that the United States is one of the safest places to give birth in the world, and it isn't. We're at the bottom, near the bottom, depending on what you're looking at in the entire industrialized world. And that is shocking. Mm -hmm. I know for me, the way that I found the story or heard about these statistics was on Twitter. And somebody had put a clip of, of Linda Valdosa and her article that she did for the New York Times in 2018. And so I went and researched the article. And I mean, it was like I was reading, I can't even describe it. It was a story of a woman who had essentially bled out and she had preeclampsia. And then I learned in my adulthood that, you know, in between my oldest brother and my older sister, which is seven years, that my mom had suffered from several miscarriages. And she was a healthy woman. And then I realized how close to home it was and how much it affected me before I was even born. And it just made no sense that a woman like my mother, educated, healthy, should have had to experience that so many times. And so when we got the chance to make a short documentary, I was like, <laughs> I, I thought that everybody just needed to hear it because it was happening. And it felt like nobody was paying enough attention. Right, right. And your mother is a nurse anesthetist, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it isn't, it just gets swept, swept under the rug. It really does. So can you share with the listeners a bit more about your project, please? Yeah. So we made a short documentary called In Between Us, which followed the lives of three Black women who have all have had different um, interactions with the healthcare system and have all have seen miscarriages firsthand. So we talked to my mother who experienced it and is a nurse anesthetist and Jenny Joseph, who is an incredible healthcare professional. And then we also spoke to Andia, who has a blog called Catching Meteorites. And in our short doc, I mean, the wealth of knowledge we received from just those three ladies and also from the help of like you and Advent Health and a bunch of other medical offices and midwives, we really realized that this project deserved more time, deserved to be longer. And so our hope is to make it a long form documentary and to get as many women involved as possible. So what have you found in doing your research? You've touched on some of it, but what really surprised you the most? I think what surprised me so April is Minority Health Month. And Candace and I have both been listening to seminars by the Black Mamas Matter group that also work with the Black Maternal Health Caucus in Washington. Yes. So what we were learning is basically just, we've been sitting on this information for a number of years. This isn't necessarily new mm -hmm. information. It's been around for about a decade. So the fact that nothing's been done is just rather shocking to me that we're just now kind of getting around to talking about this. And so they have so many initiatives in place right now. Like I mentioned, the Kira Johnson Act. They're trying to get maternal mortality review committees put up in Washington as well with the CDC. And so I think what's shocking is even with all these statistics that Black women are three to four times more likely to die from childbirth than white women, there's still an underreporting of pregnancy-related deaths, injuries, and morbidity. So I think what's shocking to me is we're really only scratching at the surface of it statistic-wise still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Furthermore, off that, if we even go to the start of gynecology, I mean, the practice of studying the female organism or the female body, the study of gynecology was formed on slaves right. without any sort of numbing or anything. So even from the very start, I mean, it's been pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. There's a book that's named Birthing a Slave, Motherhood and Medicine in the Antebellum South. And it's written by Marie Jenkins Swartz. And it is, I don't even have words. I don't have words. When you read this book, if you read it and understand what happened to our Black women and how they were treated and the fact that they weren't even in some ways considered human. They were considered animals. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. And I think it shaped our maternity care. It's that undercurrent that's there that has not been removed. It hasn't been removed. And the problem is even for women, all women, I mean, we just were able to vote 100 years ago. And women are just beginning to understand that they have rights in their pregnancy and as they give birth. It's been such a patriarchal, prejudiced system. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right, especially what you were saying just kind of about how these prior prejudices trickle down to today. That's what I was touching on a little bit earlier. It's a majority of healthcare professionals being of Caucasian descent and then looking at someone and not realizing that just because they look different than you doesn't mean that their pain or their experiences are less valid or different or, you know, more muted than yours are. So I think that's so important. And I think that's what we're trying to work on right now. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in Washington just to kind of get more, just a diversity of voices on the board and say, Hey, I have these experiences too. Like this is a real pain or this is real discomfort that I'm feeling. So I think we're hopefully heading in the right direction with that right now. Yeah, because there's that perception that women of color, that their pain tolerance is different. Mm -hmm. Yes, And I think it marks back to when slaves were being, what is the word? They were being almost guinea pigs. It's Mm -hmm. a terrible term, but that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw that. A recent, uh, it was an article that said that even like current doctors still believe that Black women, you know, had tougher skin and felt less pain. But then I think also on the side of the women, there is this kind of fear to speak up and not be believed because that's been the truth for so long. Mm-hmm. And to really hold in that pain. Right. You think things like, oh, you know, um, like this will go away. This is probably normal when it's really not. And you know, also what we're seeing is that the social detriments of health, like they don't have a lot of access to proper nutrition, to proper education for these things. And so they keep it inside. And that was the hardest part for me was that they don't even have access to get the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. I think a lot of the things that are still in place too, on top of looking at it as like, oh, their pain is different or like, you know, healthcare is different. They have tougher skin is just, there's still just flat out racial stereotypes in the healthcare system. Like we were talking to one mother who went to a doctor's appointment alone. And basically, I think she brought her child with her. 
the doctor kind of just assumed that she was a single mother kind of started talking down to her and stuff just because her husband didn't come with her that day. And she was just shocked. She's like, why am I being treated like this? Or like the doctor just kind of like stood in the doorway, gave the results of the stuff, didn't really even greet her or anything like that. So it's just, again, it's looking at someone and just because they have a different experience or a different exterior than you going, oh, they don't deserve this type of healthcare. Like they're probably fine. Or I think there's a lot of victim blaming in statistics as well. Yeah. And it's not even victim blaming in the way that you would think. It's not like, oh, your body collapsed on you. It's your fault. It's more just, oh, well, you know, they must come from a lower income background. So it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else we can do, which I think is just terrible. Yeah. It swings me back to my days early in my doula career. And I was working for Jenny Joseph at the time at her birth center, but I was also a hospital staff doula. But I remember attending births and hearing doctors, nurses walking down the hall and a a nurse may present an issue going on with one of her patients and hearing the staff say, oh, she's just a service patient just a service patient, Mm -hmm. that her life and her baby's life matters less because she doesn't have insurance or she's on Medicaid or whatever paradigm. But her life and that baby's life is just as valuable as anyone else. And those words, they have stuck with me Mm. for almost 20 years of, Mm. oh, she's just a service patient like she's discardable. She and her baby are discardable. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so impactful. Um, I think it was in, I remember in Linda Villaross's article where the mother, she was having her third child and she realized that it was different because, I mean, she had a lot of face swelling and she had really, really, really intense headaches and she would keep going back to her doctor and he would say, take Tylenol. And she said, no, my pain, like my headache is worse than the average one. He said, okay, we'll take more. And that's preeclampsia. Yeah. And that's what it turned out to be. And it could have been, it could have been completely prevented. And so I think this big project fell into our lap and we know it's a huge undertaking, but we feel like the story just needs to be told. And we're lucky to have received a lot of support, but yeah. It's a difficult topic for sure. Yeah, it's interesting too, because we don't really run out of stories to tell. Like we're still in the beginning phases of researching and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to finding black women that have actually lived through these experiences, it's terrible because it's all too common. It's almost too easy to find someone that's gone through this. And when we were doing our initial research, at first I was having trouble finding women in the first few days. And then towards the end, it was you know, we only had five minutes. It was choosing who'd be able to be in it because there were so many women that came forward and so many medical professionals that wanted to be a part of it. So it's sad that there are so many stories, but, you know, the, the unity that, all, that brings us all together was really powerful th- throughout the experience. Mm-hmm. And the more women we talked to, I think the more we found out, they're like, oh yeah, like if you want to know more about this, my mm-hmm. mother's gone through this too, or my friends, my sister's. So it was just so interesting because it seems like especially every Black woman knows another Black woman that this has happened to. Yeah. It touches all Black women, all people of color. It doesn't matter your income status, your education. They're still affected by it. And I think 
part of that is there's just this chronic level of stress Mm -hmm. and fear and prejudice and biases that women are facing. And I think as women, we're facing it anyway, entering into the medical system. Mm -hmm. My stepmom had cancer and even going to doctor's appointments with her, being in the hospital with her, the carryover for a woman in the medical system from birth to cancer, there were so many similarities. This talking down, not listening, talking to the partner instead of her, talking to a male like my father instead of her. So when you're pregnant, I feel like you're even more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely. And I know like for me personally, you know, I was raised in a medical household and, you know, I have siblings and cousins who, you know, want kids. And so I fear for them, like, will they be listened to when they approach that phase of their life? And I think we can't go into the hospitals and fix it, <laughs> um, mainly because we're journalism students and I'm pretty scared of hospitals. But I mean, this is us doing our part to make sure that mm-hmm. things will get better for the people that we love. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the scariest part of it is, as we've seen, especially like I mentioned at the beginning Mm -hmm. with the Kira Johnson story, we, especially Black women, cannot afford to not be listened to. It could literally result in the loss of a life. So I think it's learning how we as journalists, as filmmakers can help give those people a platform and give those people a voice and then kind of like teach them or teach healthcare professionals how to be better listeners and teach people how to be better advocates for themselves. Like you deserve this type of healthcare. You deserve to be listened to. Mm -hmm. You deserve to not lose your life through one of the happiest experiences that a human can ever go through. Yeah. It's when you're talking, what's coming to me, it's finding caregivers that you can trust. Mm -hmm. That's difficult enough. Mm -hmm. That's difficult enough as a white woman, much less a woman of color, where it's passed down through the generations that you can't trust the caregivers. You can't trust the hospital Mm -hmm. because they'll use you for their own devices, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was one story, I'm trying to recall where I read it, but essentially a mother was having complications and she was six weeks from her due date. And the doctor said, okay, well, we can go ahead and try and have this baby now because it would mess up his plans. He wanted to go on vacation. And so already, like, there is just, like, the sense of, are they in this for my benefit, or am I just, like, another case to them, and, like, do they truly care about me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can happen across the board. I think it also shows the importance of, we need more healthcare professionals of color, like, we need yes. a healthcare workforce, mm-hmm. because, yeah, these people have just different lived experiences, and they'll be more likely to you know, relate to patients of color, help them understand the process, help them understand their bodies because no two bodies are the same. So I think that's why it's really important because they can also be advocates for those voices that often, you know, get talked over, not heard at all. Yeah, and one of our big interests is the Black Internal Health Mommy Bus. And that's one of the keys in the legislation is to grow and diversify the prenatal workforce. So every mom, you know, Mm -hmm. can have somebody that, that she can trust. Yeah, and I know Jenny Joseph is a big mm-hmm. advocate for that, and she has the COPE 
training that she and Kathy Bradley spearheaded to help create these different avenues for birth professionals of color. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to touch on what brought us all together is this subject of pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. And so what have you found in your research regarding that? Because it is still such a taboo subject for all women overall. I feel like it's being opened up, especially Instagram has been a big movement in that. And it's this strange thing of being silent, but oh, it's just normal. Well, yeah, I had a miscarriage, but nobody talks about it. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that we saw was a huge commonality between Candace's mom and even Andia, who appears at the end. It's just, and what Jenny Joseph told us is that there's truly a grieving process. You lost a child, no matter how far along or how developed it was, that grief is the same as if it was, you know, a newborn baby. You were excited for the future of something. You had a plan for it. And then to have shame and guilt associated with it, because we don't really talk about it in public. And then to have to go through that grief alone. What Jenny was saying is it's really important that the healthcare professionals, because she was explaining to us, if you go to a hospital after having a miscarriage, they're just going to send you home. They're like, well, that's a private issue. Mm -hmm. So it's especially important that we start training healthcare professionals to see that as a loss of a life, like it was literally like death grievance in a sense to help the women go through that because they have to go through the stages of coping that you would, you know, losing any other loved one, a family member, whatever. So I think it's important that we take that grief seriously and we don't shame women into having to go through that grief alone. And it's a huge topic. And I love what Heidi Faith, founder of Still Birthday, says that it's a birth in the first trimester mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and acknowledging that it's a birth. And you're right that women have to grieve and you're grieving the loss of the dream mm-hmm. and the plans that you had with this baby. And some women having a miscarriage, it hits them harder than others. Some do kind of see it as well, one in four, you know, it it happens. But for others, the moment they become pregnant or find out they're pregnant, that's their child. And they need to grieve. And I'm just thinking that if our support for women of color is already so lacking, the insensitivity that already happens when a woman miscarries very often or gives birth in that first trimester is just, yeah, go home or here. Here's this bin to catch the products of conception that you have discarded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not even called a baby. It's just considered medical waste once your body releases the baby by so many caregivers that this a lack of sensitivity has to be worse for families of color. Mm-hmm. I think we need to reframe the way that we have those conversations too, because Andia, one of the mothers that we talked to in the short film, after she lost her first child, she said, as they were coming back from the funeral, one of her neighbors said, oh, don't worry, you'll have another one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That in no way equals the loss of 
one child, have another one. You can be happy, you know, for your future children if you decide to have them. But at the same time, nothing's going to replace that life that you lost, that idea of the future that you no longer have. Right, right. I often say, and I've heard it said other places that, so which one of your living children would you like to give up? Because <sighs> you can just have another one. Wow. It's true. No one would say that. And I know that people are wanting to provide comfort, but we really do need to develop more sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Any words that begin with at least, at least you can have another. At least it was in the first trimester. Mm-hmm. At least you miscarried the baby now because you know there was something wrong with it. Any of those types of words are so potentially damaging and just drive like they can try the words coming to you they just drive us nice this pain in your heart mm-hmm. and it's well-meaning it really negates the experience yeah yeah and even being careful you know i found in my work and working with grieving families to be careful not to use any religious platitudes or injecting your religious beliefs on the grieving family, because it may be really comforting to you. But for some women, they do not want to hear that God knew what was best, or God called your baby home, Mm -hmm. or that your baby is an angel. It just cuts them to the quick. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to meet people where they're at. And I think that's the crux of it, isn't it? It's having the sensitivity to meet someone where they're at and setting aside our own biases because no matter how hard we work on them, they're there. It's part of being human, but doing our best to set them back, set them back, set them back and take that time to listen Mm-hmm. sensitive to their situation and what's important to them what's a part of their cultural beliefs it's just vital yeah i think this is the key thing is just listening to women throughout the birth process throughout pregnancy throughout postpartum i think it's so important that we don't just cast these judgments or these assumptions on women, whether it's through the grief process or through their pain that they may be experiencing while pregnant, it's so important to just take in the information first and then decide what to do or decide what actions to take. Mm -hmm. Or to acknowledge what they're feeling Mm -hmm. and what their body's telling them and trusting that they know their body better than anyone. Mm -hmm. Trusting that they know their baby better than anyone. And there's this assumption carried out by so many, not all, not all, but so many that we women aren't capable, as Kristen Piscucci says, you know, that we put our brain aside, that we're not capable of making any decisions regarding our baby and ourselves. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we live with our bodies our whole lives, so who 
better to know what's going on in there to feel any abnormalities than us firsthand, especially as women. I think we need to be taken seriously and listened to. And especially when it comes to the case of your child, like no one else can feel that baby in the same way that a mother can. So I think it's so important that we start really prioritizing mothers. Yes. Yes. So what do you see as you're embarking on this incredible journey of bringing awareness as some of the steps that are necessary to create change? I think the steps necessary, that's a really good question. I think when you give a voice to someone who feels like they haven't been listened to, I mean, that's the first step because now their story is out there. And then also telling the story with care and with respect and making sure it's factual and honest and true. I think when you do that, you have a really great opportunity to make something that is a catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. I think the first steps, and that's what we're trying to do with this film, are to validate the feelings and the story of these Mm -hmm. mothers by showing them that they're not alone. There are so many other women, unfortunately, that are going through the same exact thing. So I guess it's listening, it's sharing the stories, and it's really learning to, you know, we should trust Black women and what they have to say and their feelings and their pain. So I think it's a three-step process of listen, share, and trust, and then make change based off of what you've presented. I think the sharing part is going to be really important because there are so many resources out there now for women to use to support each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the great thing. Like we mentioned, the mother that we've worked with, Andia, like she started a whole blog out of this. So it's, I think we're really, especially in like the technological age that we're in, mm-hmm. anybody's able to create their own platform and to share their own story and kind of gain traction. Like you don't have to go through, you know, already having a business or something that gains traffic. You can share your own stories on Instagram, on social media, anywhere, Facebook. And I think that's great too, is there's also support groups that pop up out of these social medias. There's Facebook support group pages for mothers that have lost children. There's, mm-hmm. you know, people can comment and share their stories. Like Andia said, when she initially started her blog, she was just kind of taken aback by the amount of mothers that reached out with similar stories. So I think it's creating that dialogue. That's really the starting point, showing people, it takes a little bit of vulnerability, obviously, to start that by sharing your own story. But I so mm-hmm. worth it because you can end up opening up a supportive group for others. Right. And there's a lot of power in vulnerability. Mm -hmm. If you can own it, own that vulnerability. Yeah. And I think, especially with that vulnerability, not all women will ever be able to get to that phase. And I think that's really important and that's Mm -hmm. totally fine. But for the women who are comfortable sharing their stories, I mean, we've all been silent lurkers on things before. So, I mean, maybe there's a mother that doesn't comment, doesn't reach out, but maybe you're impacting her with your story from afar. Mm-hmm. And maybe she reads that, sees it and goes, okay, I'm not alone. I can get mm-hmm. through this. So I think that's really important. It just takes one person being willing to take the first step into vulnerability to impact many others. Right. And I feel like the change is really going to have to happen from we women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm making a stand to say no more, no more. And I love it that younger women, I'm in my fifties, 
are starting to say no more. What I was taught was acceptable. My daughters are like, no, no, (laughs) not happening. And even families starting to demand better care. When I started my career, for example, babies were born They'd show you your baby. Isn't it pretty? They'd, you know, they'd cut the cord immediately, show you your baby, take the baby to the warmer and poke and prod them. And then you might get your baby back, mm-hmm. you know, when they're done and you do get your baby back, but it could take a while. Oh, we have to weigh it first. We have to do all of this first. And families are having more access to resources. They're finding their voice and they're starting to say, no, mm-hmm. I want my baby skin to skin. This is my baby. This is my baby, not your baby. Because often institutions view the baby as theirs. That's that undercurrent that's running, that you're their patient, that the baby is their patient. And families are starting to say, no, this is my baby. And I want delayed cord clamping. And I will have immediate skin to skin as long as my baby and I are doing okay. But that can be difficult when your voice has continuously been silenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite platforms out there and resources for families? The ones that I really used during this time was Moms in Loss, which is a Black mother support group. Mm. Um, and I was able to speak to the creator of that, and she's just an incredible inspirational voice. So that's what that we reached out to, I reached out to a few times to gather resources and, you know, check my research. They have a bunch of like outreach groups, you know, around the East Coast area. And it's things like that that I think are such a big support. Um, and one of the moms that we'd spoken to previously, who was in the documentary, she started her own Black Mothers group for uniting and to grieve together. Mm. So I think that my favorite groups are the ones that are started just locally. I mean, so many of the groups that we found in Orlando are just in our backyard and our back door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I mean, as far as just keeping up to date with the statistics and what actions being taken, the Black Mamas Matter group is a great mm-hmm. resource for anything, especially medical related. And then another organization that I really love, like I mentioned a couple times, Kira Johnson, her husband went ahead and started a foundation called For Kira For Moms. And on their website, they have the options to share your stories, to take action, to donate, that sort of thing. That's uh, what I really like more for people that are looking to get involved, that have either gone through it or are looking to make a change and don't want anyone else to have to experience these types of things. They have a really, really good platform and they put out regular video content and whatnot too. And like I said, share the stories of others. So you really know you're not alone. Yeah, and we'll be listing resources in the show notes that people can find. But I think education is important as well. And finding a doula while you're pregnant and finding a caregiver that will listen to you. And I know sometimes there are so many barriers towards that. But there's Jenny Joseph here in Orlando who wants to make sure every woman has maternal health care. And 
learning to find your voice. And it's not an easy task. And I'm not going to pretend like it is. But Jenny so often talks about educating yourself. So you know what to expect and having realistic expectations as well. Mm -hmm. What was awesome about Jenny is I didn't know a lot about doulas and midwives and, you know, what they did, but they really are, you know, and they're in support of the woman like herself and really truly listening to her and relaying her messages. And I think it's really awesome. Yeah, I think she really showed us the importance of holistic care. Mm -hmm. It's not just about, you know, getting the baby out, getting it healthy, and then you're done. I mean, it's really about guiding the mother, you know, mentally through the process, making sure she's comfortable, really caring for her after looking into things like postpartum depression, seeing if she shows any signs of that and whatnot as well. So I think it's really holistic care. And it's very important that you have someone that's advocating for you the entire process. Did you find any resources for Black women, for women of color, for postpartum depression? We did talk to some people that were part of Advent Health. Um, I know Mr. Vocal was really key in that. Yes. I know that there are a lot of, re- yeah, he's awesome. There are, I, there are a lot of resources there that help women who have suffered from postpartum depression. I think that's something that we're looking into the documentary because we only had five minutes yeah. of a short film to kind of expand into. So we really tackled, you know, Black mother mortality rates, stillbirths, and then miscarriages. So as we kind of expand this project, I think we're really looking into exploring that postpartum depression as well. Mm-hmm. Gosh, thank you for having such tenacity mm-hmm. to do this, to undertake this work. Thank you. You know, I think once we started, we were like, okay, now that we know, there's no way that we can't do everything, you know, in our power as, you know, young filmmakers to get this message out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because once your eyes are open, I had worked with families that have incurred loss. I've worked with families that had a previous stillbirth. But when I had, it was a series of families having stillbirths and then my daughter's sister-in-law, her sister died. It just opened this whole world to me. And once it's opened, you can't go back. Mm-hmm. It changes you forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what we thought starting this project. We're like, there's no way we can afford to do nothing, especially after knowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So are you finding that, and you may not be focusing on this as much because there's just more in the filmmaking, but have you found any resources that address COVID-19 and the additional barriers that women are facing because this healthcare crisis, this pandemic is really shining a light on where our system is broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But have you delved at all into any of that? Do you know of any resources? We haven't specifically delved into that for our project, but Black Mamas Matter, they did so many incredible Zoom calls and meetings. And one of them was about maternal health in the midst of COVID-19. And they had so many resources for mothers to check out. They felt like they were experiencing, they needed extra help um, during this time. Yeah, I think it's like the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. So right now, the fact that mothers, like even Andia that we talked to for this documentary, we spoke to her yesterday. Mm -hmm. And when she goes to her doctor's appointments now, she can't even bring her husband in because of just trying to keep as few people as possible in the place to keep it sterile. 
So she can only bring her very young son in with her, or sometimes she can't bring anyone in with her at all as she goes to these doctor's appointments and just has to kind of relay the information. So I think that's been interesting. And then also just that we kind of know that Black people are disproportionately affected by COVID-19, usually just because Mm -hmm. it's more black people in the essential workforce. So I don't know, especially as a black mother right now, I'd be especially concerned going, oh no, this is disproportionately affecting me. There's going to be, you know, less of my own personal support system there just because they're trying to keep as few people in the hospitals at a time. So yeah, I think what Candace was saying about the Black Mamas Matter website, having all the resources if you're going through anything like that. But I think it is important to draw attention to that. Yeah, I think it is too. I think it is too. And as you're speaking about this, it can be important to take notes during your prenatal visit or record it on your phone so that when you get home, you can remember what happened in it. That's good advice for anyone because sometimes a subject comes up and the caregiver can say something and mama's kind of blindsided by it. And she can't even formulate her own thoughts until she gets home. So having a record of that conversation gives her pause to go back to it and really think about what happened, how she wants to address it in the next visit, Mm -hmm. or reach out to them now so that she can make a conscious decision regarding her care that she can have those options available to her. Because so often you just kind of go into fight or flight or even freeze in a visit if something comes up you weren't expecting. And your brain is in shock and then you can't even remember what happened in the visit. (laughs) So I like to end my conversations with my guests sharing a piece of wisdom pearl of wisdom that they would really like to leave the Burthies families with. So for each of you, what would that be? Do you want to go first, Candace? I think the pearl of wisdom that we've seen is that there is so much power in your voice and you have the right to speak up and you have the right to share your story. And when you do, it really brings people together. I think the pearl of wisdom that I've gained through this process, you know, not being a woman of color myself, is just listen, invest, and trust Black women. I think the first step to making any sort of change is taking a pause, taking a break, and really listening to understand what the issue is. Yes, yes. So if someone wanted to support you in your work, how could they do that if they want to learn more? Because I know this is in its infancy, Yes. But if they wanted to support you in this, how can they do that? How can they reach out to you? We are currently in the process of making a fundraising page and they can see our work and learn more about us on our website for the documentary called InBetweenUsTalk.com. And that's the best way to learn about what we're doing, what stage we're at, see where our short film will be, and then get to know us a little bit more. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, on our website, we have statistics, we have the short film, we'll be updating our fundraising page. So we should have a Kickstarter or GoFundMe there too, which is pretty easy for people to be able to donate. And then we'll share stories along the way too of some of the mothers that we talk to. Wonderful, wonderful. So thank you, ladies, for this incredible work and project that you are taking on on behalf of women and babies, because how you and your mother were treated in your most vulnerable moments 
matters. Mm -hmm. So thank you. You are truly an inspiration. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And your information, it'll be in the show notes. I'm going to add it to my website. And again, thank you. And thank you, families, for listening. There are resources out there. And please, if it touches your heart, please support these two young women and the work that they're doing. They are giving women a platform for their voice. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful and it provided you some comfort or insights. For a list of bereavement resources or to connect with me for grief support, please visit my website at birthyservices.com backslash loss support. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Birthies Loss Support. If you would like to help to support me in this work to hold space for grieving families, one of the simplest and best ways is to please follow, rate, review, and share, and share again this podcast. And please be kind, compassionate, and patient with yourself as you walk this journey of grief, remembrance, and renewed hope. Remember, there is no right way to grieve the loss of your baby or your loved one.